I'd like to draw your attention to John chapter 3, if you will, in your Bibles. Turn there and, uh, and uh, look at the uh, section that, um, that we'll be focusing our attention upon today, which is verses 9 through 16. Actually, 9 to 13 and 14 through 16, we're going to actually cover a little bit more next time. But we're going to read that part uh, this morning in our text. Now, the beginning of this particular chapter uh, started with a visitation from a man named Nicodemus who came to talk to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. In other words, he was a lover of the law of God and he loved God. But uh, uh, the sect of the Pharisees at that time had become very focused on tradition, very focused on on teaching legalism rather than teaching the Word of God and the Spirit that that comes from the Word of God. So when Jesus was doing what he was doing in the temple uh, prior to this, when he overturned the table of the money changers and and told the people who were selling animals to get them out of there because his house, uh, his father's house was not to be a house of merchandise, that uh, Nicodemus is prompted by all of these things that have been happening and all and, and things even prior to that brought him to Jesus. But I want to begin with a statement that Jesus made to Nicodemus. We saw this last time and we'll begin on, in verse 7 where Jesus said to him, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. For Nicodemus who was the supposedly the interviewer became the interviewee immediately. He came and he said to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And Jesus didn't talk about that. He didn't answer that. He didn't correct him. What he said was, as you know from verse 3, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden the interviewer becomes the interviewee who is, is astounded by the things that Jesus is saying. And he asks him, how, how can a man be born again? I mean, can, how, how can he enter into a, his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus again would say to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And, and these are thought-provoking questions. These are hard questions directed right straight to the heart of this, this man who was supposed to know the law of God. Know the Word of God. He should have known the Spirit of God in all of the Word that was given. So he says to him again in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. In other words, don't be astounded by that statement. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but, but canst tell whether it cometh, and, 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 or whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered, and he said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? Now, by the way, that phrase, master of Israel, literally means a master teacher of Israel. And he says to him, You're a master teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Then he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. In other words, we speak what we know and testify that what we have seen. And you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe 
if I tell you of heavenly things. And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, or the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever or whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the crux of the message that Jesus was giving to this religious man was you must be born again. Shall we pray? Father, it is our desire to learn your word this morning, to learn of it and to grow in it. Father, teach us, anoint us and bless us with the Spirit so that we may have your understanding, so that we may comprehend, so that we may grasp everything that is taught today from your word. We humble ourselves before you, for you alone are the great and mighty one. You alone are God, and there is no other. And we thank you so much, Lord, for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus, to accomplish what we could never accomplish for ourselves. And we ask, Lord God, that you give us and grant us every bit of wisdom now. In Jesus' name, amen. In expressing to Nicodemus the need for a new birth, to be born again, Jesus had given the prominent Jewish leader two examples by illustration. The first being that of different and diverse worlds. Go back, if you will, to verse 6 of John chapter 3. And notice what it is that Jesus said to him. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says, these are two different worlds here. And this is why he tells them, marvel not, that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And it should have been very clear to Nicodemus from the book of Genesis, not to mention all of the word of God, but just go to Genesis alone. And Nicodemus, who, had, who, who should have known the Word of God from Genesis all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures, whether it be to Malachi, which was the end of the prophets, or whether it be Second Chronicles, which was actually the end of the Hebrew Scriptures, and the prophets were within all of that. But it should have been very clear to Nicodemus from the book of Genesis that Adam, the first man in his fallen state, after the fall in, in Genesis 3, could only produce after his own kind. Now that's terminology from the book of Genesis, isn't it? When everything was created, things were created to be after their own kind. How interesting. That man, after his fall, could only produce after his own kind. And what did Adam produce? Sinners. Sinners. And after that, only sinners. Except for one. In all of time in creation, there was only one who wasn't born a sinner, and that was Jesus. But everyone else was born a sinner because of Adam's fall. And so fallen men can only reproduce fallen men. And what has been inherited since the fall is, is the sin nature. The nature to sin. And to continue to sin. And what we pass on to our children is a sin nature. 
Now parents are the ones who should know that the most. Well, I know when our kids are born, they're so beautiful. Just so lovely. You see them through the glass and you know, on the window. and Oh, look, that's mine. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time they look like little lizards. All crunched up. But we love them and we think that they're the most beautiful thing around. But all you're saying is, look at that beautiful sinner. Because not long after that, they begin to grow up. And when they start to communicate and after they can say, mama and dada and all of that kind of stuff, they say, mine, mine, mine. And that's an indication that they're sinners. Why? Because sinners only care about themselves. Selfishness, pride. So what Jesus said was, what is born of the flesh is flesh. It isn't going to be able to evolve into some higher form of life, especially spiritual life, as some believe today. Because that is life of a totally different kind. Spiritual life is a life of a totally different kind. Is it any wonder then that Paul would would write years later, but nonetheless Paul would write this in Ephesians chapter 2, when he would say, and you, and he's speaking to saints, he's speaking to believers in in, in the church in Ephesus, he says, and you has he quickened, which means you he's made alive. And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, you were born physically and alive physically, But spiritually you were dead. Because you go back to the garden and what did we learn in the garden? God had told Adam and Eve, listen, you can have fruit from any tree in the whole of the garden except for one tree. Because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you do not eat of that the the, the fruit of that tree. Because on the day that you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you will begin to die. And literally that's what it says in the Hebrew. You will begin to die. In other words, spiritually you are dead immediately, physically you will eventually die. Now Adam lived a long time, he lived many, many years, but he eventually died. And when we're born, we're born physically alive, but dead spiritually. That's why we're sinners. And he says, and you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Every one of us went through this. We walked according to the course of this world. No matter how much our parents loved us, no matter how much they took us and, uh, and, and brought us good understanding of moral life, moral things, right things and all, taught us the difference between good and, and evil, right and wrong. What were our inclinations though most of the time? Our inclinations were to the wrong, to the bad, giving even more indication that we were sinners. Wherein in time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's certainly not God. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Certainly a dead spirit because, I mean, it's not uh, giving a spiritual life, an eternal life. Among whom also we had all our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh. Now the more we grow, now the more desires we want and have for the flesh itself. Past, uh, you know, in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, or, and of the mind. And we're by nature, by nature, you see the sinful nature, the children of wrath even as others. In other words, as children of wrath, we only had one destiny. 
And that was to be separate from God because we were sinners. Two words changed all of that. The first two words of verse 4. But God. But God. Who knew our predicament. Who knew it from the very beginning. That we could never save ourselves. That we could never be good enough. And do enough good. To get ourselves saved. But God who is rich in mercy. We needed his mercy. We cried out for his mercy. When we realized how sinful we were. When we realized what we finally had been revealed to us that we were sinners separated from God. God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins has quickened us which means He's made us alive together with Christ by grace you are saved and has raised us up together. And get this, He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That's where you are today, Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Though we're not there yet, though we have a place reserved. Why? Because we can sit in heavenly places. It's been made. Look at the tenses. He has raised us up and made us sit together. That's present tense. In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. But then he says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The two verses of Scripture that each and every Christian should memorize and know by heart, and know what it means. For you have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do to boast about our salvation, because we can't save ourselves. But what does God do with us? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. By the way, the the word workmanship in the Greek is poema, from which we get the word poem. And so consider yourself a poem of God, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. What a wonderful God we have to love us that way, to give us that kind of life, life that we could never have for ourselves, Oh, we can build ourselves up. I mean, we can become, we can become quite wonderful physical specimens, but you can be totally dead spiritually. And what good is that? And so if we are to have a spiritual life, we must be born of the Spirit. We must be born of the Spirit. Life has to be imparted to our very souls by the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why this, the, the, the Word of God tells us that we can't even say that, the, that Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. And it is that which He gives us and makes provision for us to take for eternal life. And that life, by the way, That life that we're talking about, spiritual life, eternal life, that life is the life of God. Now think about that. If we have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ, by the work that Jesus Christ has done, then we cannot take that life for granted. We cannot make light of it as if it's just another part of our resume or another part of our life, the story, you know. 
know how precious is the life that God has given us because it's His life. If we're Christians today, we have the life of God. Does that matter to anybody? It should matter to all of us. It should matter if we have it, and it should matter if you don't have it. Because if you don't have it, you need it. And if you need it, you need to cry out for it. And if you cry out for it, you'll get it. How do you do that? Romans nine, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Have you done that? Is eternal life that important to you? It should be. Right? Amen? It's the life of God. Think about the first chapter of John for just a moment where it spoke of the Logos, the the Word of God, who is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. Who's that? Jesus. Notice what it says in verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 1. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Without the light of Christ in us, we would continually and still be in total darkness. We're not in darkness anymore. Even Paul tells us that. You know, you're not in darkness anymore as, as, as you were when you were in the world. You've been brought to the light of Christ. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined or shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, I brought these verses up because... I I want these to bring us back to Nicodemus because the question is, what does that tell us of Nicodemus? If Nicodemus is astounded by the things that Jesus is saying to him about being born again, what does it tell us about the darkness in in which Nicodemus is still in? Remember, he came by night. And again, I, I explained the, the fact that his coming by night was to give, you know, Jesus an opportunity, for, well, give himself an opportunity to speak to Jesus without crowds and everything. But nonetheless, I think it's still significant. I, I think it's still symbolic of something about the very heart of Nicodemus, that he was still in darkness, and in darkness you don't comprehend the understanding of the light or the life that, that the Lord gives. And that's, I mean, that's a struggle for so many people. Not comprehending, not understanding the things of the Spirit. But more of that in just a moment. Because there was a second example that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. And, and, and the second example by illustration Jesus used was dealing with two different and distinct winds. Two different and distinct win, winds in verse 3. I'm sorry, in verse 8, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth or, or where it wishes. The wind goes where it, where it wants to go. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. In other words, where it's coming from, and you can't tell where it's going. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now, everything that Jesus is telling Nicodemus is something that is earthly to point him to the spiritual. So, the different worlds. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. That's why you need to be born again. Ah, the wind. The wind goes where where it wants to go. You can't tell where it's coming from. You can't tell where it's going. But he says, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. So, whereas the different worlds were in contrast to each other, the winds that Jesus mentioned are actually used in comparison now. And interestingly enough, the words for wind and spirit are identical in Hebrew and Greek. 
For example, in Hebrew, the word is ruach, R-U-A-C-H, which is the uh, transliteration of the, of the Hebrew word ruach, uh, uh, spirit, or wind. Wind and spirit is the same word, ruach. In the Greek language, the word is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Uh, pneumatic, uh, pneumonia, you know, we, it's all having to do with, with breath or wind. Well, the word is used, uh, pneuma, uh, is the word for use for wind or for the Spirit. And that's not a coincidence, by the way. Because the way of the Spirit and the way of the wind have many similarities. First of all, they are both invisible. They are both invisible. We can't see the wind, except here in El Paso, right? In El Paso, we can see the wind. February, March comes along, the wind blows, and what do we see? Oh, look at all that dust. Look at the wind, the, the dust, the dust, the dust. Yeah. yeah, well, let me tell you this. You didn't see the wind. What you're seeing is the effects of the wind. And it's kicking up the dust, and the, the dust is not the wind. But it's showing us the effects of it. Because the wind is invisible, just like the Spirit is invisible. They both can be sensed. We can sense it. Right? Friday night. Friday afternoon was a beautiful day, right? The sun started going down. I was really, really pretty. And then all of a sudden the wind started blowing a little bit. Then it started blowing a little bit more. Then it started blowing a little bit more. You can sense it. It's coming. And then you can smell the, the rain, you know. Of course, we didn't get the rain, but we could smell it. We always get the smell of rain. We're good at that in El Paso. We'll get the smell of rain. But the wind, we didn't see it. But we could sense it. And thirdly, the presence of both reveal their effects. And that's the important thing to understand about the wind and the spirit. Because you can't see the wind, but you recognize its power. I said that last week. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you recognize His power. He's invisible, but He makes His presence felt in a mighty way as He convicts. When he convicts us of sin, we know it. We never saw it coming, but we know it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows and convicts, but what does it do after the conviction? Once we respond to the conviction, the wind blows regeneration and it gives life. That is why when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that happened to us is that we became aware of the fact that we were sinners. And the Holy Spirit brought that to our attention. And in, in, and in realizing what we were, then we either did one or two things. We either liked that, or we said, you know, this is wrong. This is not where we need to be. God is revealing this to me. God is revealing this to us so that we can get right with Him. Because He loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if I keep myself in that sin, I'll perish. And you cry out to God for mercy. And He gives you mercy. And you confess the Lord Jesus. And you believe in your heart and you say that and you, and you acknowledge it and you declare it. I, I, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Then you have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and you've been born again. You've been regenerated. And you see, He changes us completely, doesn't He? He changes us completely. You recognize the power, although you don't see it actually working. You've seen a vain, worldly woman, let's say. All your life you would say, oh, that woman just loves herself and she just cares about herself so much. And she says things that just draws attention to herself. She's a vain, worldly woman. Then one day, suddenly, she becomes a quiet woman of prayer. And you say, something happened. What happened? Her life was changed because the wind of the Spirit blew through her heart and brought attention to her need and brought the Word of God to bear upon her life. Or you've seen a wicked, godless man live his life wickedly and ungodly and then one day he becomes a, a, a changed person in in the fact that he becomes bold in the gospel. He becomes humble in his life. And he becomes blameless in his work. A blameless man of God. Changed. Maybe that's your testimony. Maybe those are our testimonies here today. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit was blowing into the soul of Nicodemus to convict him and to convert him, to regenerate him and to renew him. But would he bow, you see? Would he bow to the spirit's gentle influence? Now the good thing was that Nicodemus was not a belligerent Sanhedrin. He didn't come to attack Jesus. He was though a bewildered seeker. He was totally like blown away by the things that Jesus was telling him. He was totally totally amazed and astounded. And that's why in verse 9 it tells us, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How can they be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Although he had approached Jesus with a sincere heart, Jesus scolded Nicodemus mildly. But he scolded him nonetheless. He scolded him for being recognized as a master teacher of Israel and yet not knowing about the things that the Lord was talking about simply because he was needy of basic biblical truth. He was impoverished of basic biblical truth as taught by the Spirit of God. Now you would think this man who was held up in such high esteem as a leader in Israel, as a teacher in Israel, as an example of of godliness in the Pharisees of Israel, And the Lord says, you have need of something. You don't know anything. You know, the Apostle Paul deals with this subject in his first letter to the church in Corinth. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then I want your homework to be, read all of chapter 2, because there's a lot of stuff that I won't be able to, because of time, touch upon, but they're very important to this subject. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, and then later on another passage I'll give you. Here Paul says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. And by the way, the word perfect there literally means being mature. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, which means it comes to nothing. He says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, 
Remember that a mystery is something that is hidden, yet when we speak of it, we are revealing the mystery. And there is so much hidden in the, in the Old Testament, in the shadows that were given from the very time that, uh, I mean, actually from the book of Genesis, but if you want, you can start with, with the things that, that the Lord gave to the children of Israel in the building of the tabernacle, that everything in the tabernacle was a shadow of things to come, a shadow of the Messiah that was to come, and all of the things pointed to Messiah to come. So that's the mystery being revealed. But nonetheless, he says, but we speak the mystery of God in a, uh, the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, or for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had actually understood the pictures, if they had understood the shadows that pointed to the reality of Jesus, they would not have crucified him. The one thing that we need to understand is, of course, God knew that they wouldn't understand it. But nonetheless, if they had, they would not have crucified Jesus. But the need was still great. And time and again, we realize how much God loved Israel that he gave them opportunities. Always gave him opportunities to come back to him. But he knew that would take time. And he knew that Messiah would come for them first, but he would come also for the world and for the sins of the world. Paul speaks of the wisdom that comes from being filled with the Spirit of God here in this passage that I'm reading to you. And as you read on, you'll see that. Wisdom that can be understood by the mature. Wisdom that reveals God's plan of salvation to as many as grasp and believe it. But Paul goes on to to say this, and this is what I want you to see here, verses 12 through 14. He says, now uh, we have received not the spirit of the world. Now he's speaking again to believers. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. He wants us to know the things that he wants to give us for our good. He's not hiding them from us. I don't know why some people think that the Christian, the, the, the Christian faith is something of a mystery. There isn't a mystery. It's been revealed. Jesus says, this is who I am. This is what I came to do. This is what I've done. This is what I'm going to do when I come again. It's not, there's nothing hidden here. God wants to give us things, but we won't understand it unless we are filled with the Spirit of God. Unless we are born again of the Spirit of God. That's why he says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God, what has God given us that isn't free? Everything has been accomplished by the work of Christ. And then he says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but what, uh, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Goes back to what Jesus said, what is born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the spirit is spirit. So we compare spiritual things with spiritual. But then he says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now who is the natural man? The natural man is the fleshly man. The man who is living by flesh and not by, not by faith. The man who is living by flesh and not by the Spirit of God. And notice what he says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. 
Some of us could actually say that's part of my testimony. I kept thinking everybody that came to me with a gospel or in the Bible and stuff, I'd say, man, that's foolish, man. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I'll, I'll get, I'll, I, I worship God my own way. I worship God my own way. Have you ever heard someone say that? Maybe you've even said it yourself. You worship God your own way? Then you're not worshiping God His way. Ah, you're in trouble. God has given us a plan of how to worship Him. We only say that because we don't want anybody to bother us. It's because we're the natural man, not the spiritual man. They're foolishness unto Him. Neither can He know them because they are spiritually discerned. You can only discern it through the Spirit of God. Which if it isn't in your life, then you're not going to discern anything. Back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was certainly touched by what Jesus was saying. I mentioned that last week. You know, he, he came sincerely to Jesus. He asked the right question. He didn't ask why. He asked how. Nonetheless, I'm sure that he wished to know what was meant by being born again. I mean, he was astounded by what Jesus said about being born again. I mean, just think of how many people don't even care to know. Those of you that have witnessed to people and, and told them, you know, have, are you born again? He said, ah, I don't care about that. I don't care what that means. You should. But some people are just that way. They don't care. Nicodemus cared. See, that's the thing that we're learning about this person. He cared about this. He wanted to know. He went to the true source of it all. And yet he did not know about spiritual things And Jesus points out that he should have known them. Nicodemus, you should have known these things. You're a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things. You haven't looked into the word of God to see things like Isaiah 44 verse 3. Where it says, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. You haven't read that? You haven't even questioned what that means? What about what it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27? Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? Nicodemus, didn't I tell you, those who are born of water and of the Spirit, uh, unless they're born of water and of the Spirit, they can't inherit the, uh, or they can't enter into the kingdom of God? I mean, where have you been all this time? You're a teacher in Israel and you don't know this? What about the next verse? A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Sounds like, like a new birth to me. And he goes on and he says, And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Listen, isn't it interesting that he uses this terminology? I will take out the stony heart out of your flesh. What is that saying? Well, you're dead, right? It's saying you're dead. A, a stony heart doesn't beat It's stone. It's a rock. Which is an interesting thing because what was the law written upon that was given to Moses to give to the people? A rock. A stone carved out by the finger of God. On purpose to tell us, listen, the law is perfect. But the law only points to Messiah. And Paul said the law only points. It's the tutor, the, the schoolmaster that teaches us and leads us to Jesus.
the one who fulfills the law because you cannot fulfill the law. They came, you know, Moses came with ten, ten commandments and they said, we can do ten. And eventually, you know, the, you know, the people started taking the law and breaking it down, you know, for, throughout all of the, the Torah, you know, the five, the first five books of Moses and they broke it down to six hundred and some laws, you know, and, and, but then they would say, okay, you gotta do this and you gotta do that. And then they would put laws upon, they would put things around the laws. They, they used to call it building walls upon the, uh, around the law. It was all stone. He said, I'll take out the, the, the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And what he means by that is not that he's turning them into the flesh. He says, a heart of flesh, by the way, beats, doesn't it? How many of you right now, just put your finger down here by your wrist. Take your pulse. You're not doing it. I'm asking you to do something. Is your heart beating? Who's not beating? Uh, we'll, we'll call the 911. You are beating, right? Ah, thank the Lord. You're alive, you see, because you got a heart of flesh and you're, 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 you're alive. But more than that, the spiritual part of it is a heart that is alive spiritually because he says, I will put a new spirit in you. A new spirit in you. You look at verse 27, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Why? Because I'm with you. I put my spirit in you, my life in you. I will be your life. I will lead you. I will cause you. I will help you in your life. And then in Ezekiel 37, by the way, we know what Ezekiel 37 is, right? It is the chapter that speaks of the valley of dry bones. The, the prophecy of, of, of a, a resurrected, uh, rebirthed Israel. And here in verse 13, God says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. Oh, my people, and brought you up out of your graves. What does that say? You were dead. And in verse 14, he says, And shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. Sounds like new birth to me. Nicodemus, what have you been studying? And I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. If I can do this for a nation, I can do it with the individuals of that nation. And I can do it with anybody that wants a new life. You go to Ezekiel 39, God says, Neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. And I only added this to tell you, listen, the church didn't replace Israel. God says, I'm going to raise them up again, and I'm going to put my spirit in them, and I'll hide my face from them no more. That's going to happen again. So folks, don't believe replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, very classic texts concerning this uh, move of the Spirit of God upon a people. He says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And of course, to some degree, that was actually begun, the, the, uh, the fulfillment of that began in Acts chapter 2. 
uh, at Pentecost when the Spirit of God came upon the 120. But getting back to Nicodemus, the master teacher of Israel, the instructor of Pharisaic legalism was now the student of the one true teacher from above and he didn't do so well in class, did he? Nicodemus wasn't doing too well in this class. As the Lord reveals to Nicodemus in verses 11 to 13 of our text, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. He says, okay, here's your final. We've given testimony. We know what we know and we've given it, but you haven't received it. You have not received our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if, you, if I tell you of heavenly things? And again, here giving, giving the, the very shadows, the, the, the very pictures of everything in the scriptures that he should have known that would point, that would have a spiritual connection, a spiritual understanding, a spiritual fulfillment later. And he missed it. And he says, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Let me explain that here in just a moment. But first of all, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he's not setting before him words that are founded upon reasoning or speculations or guesses. You know, that's not what Jesus ever did. Or even some fine philosophy. He's not saying, hey, listen, Nicodemus, here's a, here's a great philosophy to follow. No. He was setting before him very hard facts, hard and true facts, and the plain testimony of eyewitnesses. Notice again what he says there in verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man has, has ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. That's the testimony of who he is. And I find it interesting that Jesus actually uses the pronoun we. He said, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. Interesting that, God, that, that Jesus would use that. Because that was certainly in, in answer to Nicodemus' opening remarks to Jesus in verse 2 of, of John chapter 3. The same night came, uh, or the same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know. So he didn't come and just say, Hey, listen, Lord, I, wa- I want to know about this. He says, We know. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Oh, so you know. And Jesus said, Well, we know too. We know that. We know these things. We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. And you haven't received it. So the striking response of Jesus in using that pronoun might refer to him and and the disciples that he had at the time who were giving testimony of who he was, even though he didn't come to begin that, and though it began in, at the marriage of Cana, where Mary brings out you know, the, the, the situation that allows people to see who he is. But I want you to consider something else. The striking response of Jesus may refer to the fullness of the Godhead. Speaking of the Godhead itself, the one God in three persons, do you remember back in the book of Genesis where, where the Lord said, let us make man in our image. Let us. One God. 
had three personalities, distinct. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, we speak what we know. And what we testify. The results, at least at that moment, the result was one of not receiving Christ's witness and not believing simply because it, it is man's nature not to believe. And specifically the people that Nicodemus represented because if you look at, at John 1 verse 11, it says he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. And Nicodemus was one of his own. And the people that he represented were of his own. But they received him not. And it makes me wonder if Jesus would just say to Nicodemus these words, Nicodemus, do you even believe what you claim to believe when you came to me? That I am a teacher come from God? Do you even believe that, Nicodemus? What do you believe, Nicodemus? What do you believe? And that's the question that is posed to each and every one of us every day. What do you believe? The Apostle Paul tells us in his writings, he says, Hey, listen, examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. What do you believe? At this point in Nicodemus' life, he didn't believe and receive Jesus. At this point in his life. It brings to mind these passages. It brings to mind 1 John Uh, chapter 5 verse 10 where, where John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he says he that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself he that believeth not God has made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son if we give the witness of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ to someone and they don't receive it what 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 it says here is that he that does not believe it and does not believe God has made God the liar has made God the liar of a testimony. Is the testimony a lie? Is our life changed because of what Christ has done? It's not a lie. It's not a lie what God has done to us or for us and with us. But he that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. That's the witness we give to people. But he that believeth not, you make God a liar. Because they haven't believed the witness and the record. Jesus himself put it this way in John 12 verse 48. He said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. Now look and listen carefully. He says, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You know that we're not going to judge him because we're not the judges. There's one judge. And it comes down to the word spoken by Jesus Christ. That will judge the person who rejects Jesus Christ. It isn't you or me. It's the word of God. It will judge the one who has disregarded the truth of God. Rejected the truth of God. And who has not received it. And what Jesus tells us in verse 13 of our text is essentially that the new birth is revealed only by Jesus. The new birth is, is revealed and, and uh, essentially revealed only by Jesus. For he said that he came down out of heaven. No man in and of himself can ascend up into heaven. There's not, not one of us can ascend up into heaven in and of our own power or even of our own desires. Enoch was caught up into heaven. Elijah was caught up into heaven. 
They didn't go on their own volition. They didn't go on their own power. So you understand that. Only Jesus came and can go back. Only Jesus alone. No man can penetrate the spiritual world in, in other words. But Jesus was different from all men for his origin was out of heaven, out of the spiritual world. He also said in effect that he's timeless. The time does not control Jesus because even the son of man which is in heaven is what he said. Which tells us first of all he's omnipresent. And it means that his existence and his experience are timeless. John 6.33 says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth light, or life unto the world. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Verse 38 says, For I come down, or I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And in chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Jesus did not begin on earth, but he came from heaven to earth and will return afterwards to heaven. The text reminds us of two other things. It reminds us that he's in constant communication with the Father and the the Spirit. And secondly, it reminds us that he alone has the authority to cause us to be born again. He has the authority and the power. But the text is very clear that Jesus concludes his conversation with Nicodemus with a statement about the simple gospel of salvation. When he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 14. And then he says in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I'm going to cover these verses next week. But we all know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How clear the message is that Jesus gives to this man who should have known better, who should have known the truth, and knew the outskirts of the truth, but not the deep things of God. We sit here today, many of us, saved and thankfully saved by the power of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the power that he had over sin and death in the resurrection. We sit here today thankful and blessed. But some of us may not be that blessed. Not because God doesn't want to bless you, but because you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I think of Nicodemus here because also Nicodemus, you see, is mentioned later on in Scripture. And could it be that for Nicodemus, it wasn't until he saw Jesus on the cross of Calvary and remembered the things that Jesus had taught him that all these things finally made sense and would cast his doubts and his apprehensions aside to receive and to believe Jesus. Let me tell you this. Some of us don't have that luxury of time that Nicodemus had. Some of us won't have that luxury of time if we haven't received Jesus Christ. We have to really and thoughtfully consider the gospel 
We have to really consider what eternal life is. Because the alternative is not a blessing. I want to come to the table of communion right now with these thoughts. Jesus is alive now. He's alive now. He rose from the dead. He's alive now. Jesus is Lord now. He's Lord of all. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah of Israel, but He is our anointed one as well. You can come to Him still. And Jesus is coming again soon. Now would be good for some of us, but it wouldn't be good for those of us that haven't received the Lord. So I encourage you, if you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, that you do so in the next few minutes. That you be drawn to Him through the power of His Holy Spirit that I believe is working in this room today, right now. Not because I say so, but because of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We have to be ready for His return. There's no reason to wait another moment. It's time to come to Jesus now. Let's pray. Father, it is not only with joy and gladness, but also with a great concern, Lord, that we come to you and ask that you move mightily in the power of your Holy Spirit to touch the hearts and the lives of those who who need you this, this day, who are well aware that they are empty of life, I know, Father, that there are times when we think that, uh, we, that our feelings and our emotions are, are, the, are the evidence, but they aren't. It isn't about feelings, Lord, it's about faith. It's about trusting, really trusting the Lord. It's really trusting you. Really trusting the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I pray, Father, that, Lord, if this, is, if this message has stirred the hearts of anyone, if it stirred us as believers to, to, to never take your salvation for granted, I pray, Father, that, that that will affect our hearts today in a great way. But because we're all sinners, we all need to to focus our attention upon what Jesus Christ did. So I pray, Father, that we'll all take these cups and hold them and wait, Lord, to to partake of them together so that we can make that confession of our faith clear that what Jesus did with His body and His blood was, Lord, for our good and our eternal life. Help us in understanding that today as we partake in this table of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, 
And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. As we hold this bread and this cup in preparation of partaking them together to remember the things that Jesus Christ has done, the very symbols themselves, and that's what they are, these things have have no great spiritual uh, power in and of themselves. They're, they're just bread and, 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 and juice. But we partake of this as often as we do to remember the importance of what Jesus did say and what he did. As the bread of life, he says, he that comes to me shall never hunger. You come to the Lord, you will never hunger spiritually. You will always be fed. You will always be filled. And he says that believes on me. In other words, that continually will believe and trust in everything that the Lord has said and everything that the Lord does shall never thirst. Because of the continual beauty of the water of the word of God given to us and the wisdom and understanding that comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us to the extent that it was placed upon a cross, a cross that was really intended for us and not for Him, the sinless Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God. But He went there on our behalf anyway, and He died for our sins. And on that cross, he bore our sins. On that cross, he shed his blood. Another rich element of our new life in Christ. The cup represents his blood that was shed for the remission, the forgiveness of our sins. We not only have new life, but we have forgiveness. We, we, we've been forgiven. And though we live from day to day with, with, with the struggles of life and the times of our trials and the times of our ups and our downs and our failures and our falterings, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. The bread and the cup, as we partake of them together, is a reminder that he'll never leave us. And so, let's partake of these elements this morning with wisdom that comes from his Holy Spirit. That tells us why these things are important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this bread and this cup. We thank you for what they represent. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have done all for us. The only thing we bring into this equation, the only thing we bring into this whole issue is our sin. That's, that's all we're good for is to bring our sin to you. But you have done the greater work. You have died on the cross. You have borne our sins. You have shed your blood. And we today are the recipients of the blessings of your resurrection. And so, Father, today we thank you for this bread and this cup. We thank you for the provision that this bread represents because bread is something that is given to us each and every day. Lord, you 
You, you give us everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. And the cup, Lord God, reminds us how every day you cleanse us. Every day, Lord God, you give us new hope and new understanding, Lord God, that every day we can begin afresh and anew with new mercies and compassions, Lord, that never fail. We thank you for these things and we partake of them together because we know, Lord God, that we are one in Christ and one in the things that Christ has done for us. May we never forget that. And I pray for those who need you this morning. I pray that as they're partaking, they will realize the wind of the Spirit blowing into their lives and into their hearts. Father, do a great work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Now let's partake of the cup together. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, wholeness and completeness. I pray that the Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit would continue to do his work in you. And especially, Lord, to those that consider themselves to know more than they do. I don't say this, I say it with all due respect, Lord God, for all of us at one time thought we knew more about what we know, and we know nothing. Everything that we do know now, we know because of your Spirit, because of the Spirit that the Lord Jesus has given to us. So I would encourage you, if you if you pray to receive Christ, or if you want to pray to receive Christ, if you haven't done it, but you still want to do it, in just a moment, some of our men will be standing up here to pray for you. You come up and you tell them you want to receive Jesus. You want to get things right with God, because Jesus could come at any moment. And when he does, things will change in this world, greater than the things that we see happening today. So, have a wonderful day in the Lord. Encourage each other as you leave this place today. And if you have any prayer needs of any other kind, don't, don't hesitate to come up right after we sing this song. So have a wonderful day in the Lord. Yeah, we took it a little longer, but it's okay. The foods, they warm the food well for you here, so, or wherever you'll be going. So have a wonderful day as you fellowship together in the love of Christ. God bless you.